Welcome to the club no one ever wanted to join. This is Refused, the unofficial podcast of Eliasm.org. Having a tough time spelling that? It's an acronym for I Live in a Sexless Marriage. Listen to stories, articles, and sometimes the dark humor experienced by those in sexless marriages here on Refused. On Eliasm.org, you'll see much wiser people than me give advice on coping with sexless marriage. And you may see my less useful posts under the name Mirror Orchid. Until then, you've suffered enough. On with the show. Ignore the hypotheticals. Standard introduction, standard disclaimer, standard religious caveat. Okay, here goes. At the time I wrote the following... I had just finished writing a series of posts on my blog in which I attempted to bring balance to the discussion of Christian marriage and the validity of sometimes having to bring an end to a dysfunctional marriage by divorce. Now, please recall, I write for a religious audience. The springboard into that series was my attempt to provide an answer for the question, how much refusal constitutes refusal? And when does it justify separation and divorce? In my preparation for that series, I came across several testimonies from refused spouses who told of trying to have discussions with their refusers about the sorry state of their marriage bed, only to have these discussions turned back on them with accusations that had a common theme. The refusing spouse accused the desirous spouse of wanting too much sex. Just for your information, I've read stories in which both husbands and wives are accused of this, so it's not a gender-specific complaint. If you were a regular reader of my blog, you would not have been surprised to learn that these accusations were usually along the line of how the desirous spouse was damaging their marriage with insatiability, maybe even to the point of ending the marriage. But I noticed that there was something new recently in these accusations that I was seeing. They were adding a new wrinkle to the eternal argument, shifting it from past refusal to the future by adding a couple of hypotheticals. Hypotheticals, you ask? Yes, hypotheticals. Here's the first example. A wife began by arguing that her husband only wanted her for sex, thus making him the bad guy for putting a strain on their marriage. By the way, this stupid statement, yes, I said stupid, was addressed in one of the addressing sexless marriage series that Mirror Ork had recorded. This wife then changed gears and she attacked him with this. So what if I'm not able to have sex? Am I not a good wife to you anymore? Will you decide to divorce me if I'm sick and can't do you anymore? Now this wasn't an isolated incident. As I read several stories at that time that I was writing this post, And I found it interesting that the refuser jumped to a what-if hypothetical concerning the future. Looking at this statement, it's easy to see it for what it is, an evasion, an attempt to dodge the question, isn't it? 
instead of addressing the very real and immediate concerns of the refused, he or she tries to deflect from the matter at hand and turns to launch a preemptive strike on the motives of the refused spouse. So it is at this point that I don my Solomonic robes and with my customary curmudgeonly wisdom make the following pronouncement. Okay, down the road, if there are any physical challenges to the ability to have sexual relations, then we can deal with those challenges. But today the matter isn't some future what if I can't, but is a very immediate can you, as in if you can have sex now, why are you refusing to have sex with me? Refusal is the immediate elephant in the room, and future exigencies can be met by future actions as the need arises. But what is of primary importance is the here and now. And if a climate of refusal has been created by won'ts, they have to be dealt with. Can'ts can wait their turn. If you are presented with a what-if-I-can't argument, just remember this one fact and deal with the elephant in the room. Won't is not equal to can't. Okay, that was the first hypothetical. The second hypothetical is just as unserious. In the first one, the refuser is making the accusation that their spouse's insatiability is damaging their calm and might even be threatening the marriage. In the second hypothetical, the refuser casts him or herself in the role of a victim. In an effort to appear martyr-like, which is, as we all know, next to deity itself, this question or accusation is presented. Would you really destroy our marriage, all that we've been to each other over sex? Okay, I have to confess that my immediate reaction to this is somewhat less than diplomatic and certainly within my curmudgeonly character. Me? You've been destroying our marriage over sex for umpty-up years. I'm just calling time of death. Okay, yes, that is admittedly undiplomatic. And most likely you aren't calling time of death on your marriage. You're trying to get your spouse to help you, to join you in improving your marriage. But when you think about it, I'm not really all that wrong, am I? The refuser has been actively destroying his or her marriage over sex by denying its proper role in the relationship. I really do wonder at the amount of self-control a refuser has to have in order to ask that question with a straight face. After all, five, ten, twenty-plus years of gatekeeping and refusal into a marriage, and he or she wants to claim that they built a marriage together? When I first read this, I was reminded of one of my personal heroes whose wife asked him about celebrating a milestone anniversary by going to Hawaii and renewing their vows on the beach. Without missing a beat, this hero responded, Why? What have we got to celebrate? As you might imagine, the hero's words were a mega slap in the face for his wife. Metaphorically speaking, 
but they were also a crushing blow to the happy marriage fiction she wanted to maintain in front of family and friends. Hero's response was an honest assessment of what his marriage had done to him, and instead of having constructed a life and a testimony to the beauty of marriage, the refuser embodied the truth of Proverbs 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. It's ironic that this second accusation, this second unserious line, is actually true, but only in reverse. When God created man and woman and instituted marriage as the channel for the holy expression of one's sexuality, he said, it is good. Men and women are sexual beings by God's design, and he ordained that sexuality be the province of the married. But when one spouse gets the notion they don't have to honor their partner's God-given, God-ordained need for sex, he or she sets in motion the engine that will demolish their house. In essence, when the refuser asks, would you destroy our marriage over sex, they are attempting to seek refuge in the very institution that they have worked so hard to destroy. So there you have it. Two hypotheticals. What if I couldn't have sex? Would you destroy our happiness just because of sex? So what are you to do if you receive accusations along these lines from your spouse? Just remember that these are simply attempts to deflect from the real issues of your marriage. Don't allow yourself to get bogged down in these rabbit trails because that's just what they are, rabbit trails. Instead, remember to keep the main thing the main thing and keep pursuing marital healing for the both of you. CSL out. That's today's show. Thanks for listening. Drop by eliasm.org to learn a whole lot more about sexless marriages and what to do about them. Or just find a sympathetic ear. That's I-L-I-A-S-M dot org. We're sorry you tuned in, but do it again soon. The essay, Ignoring the Hypotheticals, is written by CSL and can be found at curmudgeonlylibrarian.wordpress.com. This podcast was narrated and edited by Muir Orchid. The intro and outro music is sampled from the instrumental Drown in Thoughts on the album Illusions by X Tickerex, whose name I may be butchering. Available at freemusicarchive.org. This episode of Refused is not brought to you by Edie's Spumoni Ice Cream. Pistachio, chocolate, and cherry. All three flavors, one container. Look for it in your grocer's freezer. If you find it, buzz me. I sure can't find it anywhere. Edie's Spumoni Ice Cream. Ask for it by name. You'll have to. Like I said, it ain't in the freezer. So long. You're not alone. It'll be okay. I need a better sign-off.